0: How are you doing this morning? Are you well? Everybody good? There's a r- I'm well, thank you. I am. I'm excited. Uh, there's a rumor that school starts um, tomorrow. Is that right? Is that good news or bad news? Mixed. Mixed crowd. All right. Um, they asked John the Baptist, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? And John said, I'm going to baptize you with water, but there's somebody coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And they couldn't figure out why John was baptizing all these people. Well, one of the reasons was he was the forerunner of the Messiah, and he was to help the people of Israel turn back to God you've strayed from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this was a baptism of repentance and lots of water. But John told everybody, there's somebody coming who's so awesome and so great that even though I'm this great prophet, I'm not even worthy to untie the guy's sandals. And so I I think what John was doing is as he baptized everybody, he was like, okay, I baptized Jimmy. Nothing happened. Okay, Jimmy's not it. I baptized Johnny, okay, that's cool, Johnny's not the Messiah. I I baptized Harriet, okay, nothing really spectacular took place here. And here comes my cousin, I know my cousin, nothing spectacular is going to happen here. And he baptizes Jesus, and the Bible says, the heavens were torn open. Mark chapter 1 says the heavens were ripped open. The same word that was used in the veil of the temple was written half from top to bottom. And all of a sudden, a dove shows up. The Holy Spirit comes down, remains on Jesus in the form of a dove. It stays on him. And God says, what? This is my son in whom I am. I am well pleased. And at that moment on, it was game on. It was game on. John knew because the heavens were torn and the Holy Spirit came down and it remained on him. So... We fast forward in a few years to Luke. And Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And Luke said to the people Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this gift is for you, your children, and for everybody who's far off. That was us. That's the Gentiles. The Jews who were near and everybody who was away, far off from the the Jewish faith, would be the Gentiles. So Jews and Gentiles alike would be able to come to Christ. And so every person today who's born, again, gets the Holy Spirit inside of them. And so if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The tricky part, though, is whether or not the Holy Spirit is remaining on you. And so the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and it remained on Jesus. And everywhere Jesus walked, there was the Spirit. Everywhere Jesus went, there was the Spirit. Jesus would be able to drive on US 19, and the dove would still be on his shoulder. Jesus would be able to do all kinds of things that you and I struggle with, and the dove would remain. The Holy Spirit remained on him. That's the goal. The goal is for every one of us not just to have the Holy Spirit in us. That's for you. The Holy Spirit in you is for you. It helps you, it guides you, it convicts you, it challenges you. The Holy Spirit in you is awesome. But God also challenges us to let the Holy Spirit remain on us because that's for everybody else. And everywhere you go, you change culture, you change environments, you change workplaces, you change homes, you change families. Everywhere the dove goes, if it remains on you, that's where where lives get changed. That's where families get changed. That's where environments now become influenced by you. And so the goal for all of us as believers is not just to have the Holy Spirit in us. We've got that. Whether or not we have the Holy Spirit on us, that's up to you. This was your commitment to Christ and his commitment to you. This, where the dove remains on you, that's hard. And you got to be all in for that. There is a price to pay if you want to go everywhere in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is an incredible price to pay for that. So let's say that you're like, this is like your first time back to church in 40 years, and like right now you're completely overwhelmed. How does any of this really fit into your life? Well, you've got to admit, even if you're not a Christian, you've had some supernatural, unexplainable experiences. Say that with me. Say supernatural, supernatural, Unexplainable experiences A little bit better than that. This group's going to be supernatural. This group these two groups are be unexplainable, and you're going to be experiences. Ready? Here we go. Supernatural, unexplainable experiences. Even if you're not a Christian, everybody else lost their job and you got promoted. Everybody else didn't get the scholarship, but they were far more qualified from you, and you got the scholarship. I don't know how this worked, but the door came open, and you know something supernatural took place, and you can't explain it, but it was an experience, and that's what Romans chapter 8 does. Romans chapter 8 is designed to explain supernatural, and if you're not real sure, some, for some of us, some people, it, it's like it's unexplainable, but Paul in Romans 8 says, I want you to understand how this works. It is supernatural, but there's an explanation. And I want you to be able to experience who I am. And so, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, starts talking about the price, it's worth it. And he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so Paul's saying, I'm going to pay the price. And Paul paid the price. Paul ultimately lost his life. He says, I'm all in. And it doesn't matter how much it costs. I'm going all the way. And so in that culture, we got to really understand where they're going, coming from. Christianity is illegal, probably about A.D. sixty. Uh, Nero is the emperor, Nero burned Christians, Nero tortured Christians, Nero crucified Christians. And so to be a Christian in this culture, it was incredibly illegal. And it wouldn't be until about 313 A.D. until Constantine made Christianity a state religion where it was legal to be a Christian. So when Paul writes this, he's in peril. And everybody was in peril, but he's going, you know what, it's worth it, the price is worth it. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of of God to be revealed. And I I love this because when you think about this, creation struggles. But the Spirit of God joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The Spirit joins with you to say, okay, what am I supposed to do? Even though the creation was subject to frustration, this was the fall. This was Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve fell, everything went topsy-turvy. We could talk about strife, we could talk about anger, we could talk about murder, we could talk about genetics, we could talk about cancer. Everything happened, tornadoes, hurricanes, everything fell apart when there was the fall. And creation then was subject to frustration. But by the will of the one who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is why the Holy Spirit's on you. There's decay. There's bondage. But the children of God go into places of darkness, and we change that into freedom and into glory. There's darkness. Just take a Christian out of a family. Let's say you're the only Christian in your family. What's going to happen to your family? More light, more dark. Just take a believer out of an apartment complex and it's surrounded by darkness, and and this believer is the only believer in an apartment complex that's light. Does that apartment complex get lighter? Does it get darker? We all know the answer to this. And so the children of God are to be revealing the power and the glory of God and bringing freedom to that which is bondage and decay. Your life's not about you. It's never been about you. Your life is always to go into places of bondage and decay and to transform them. That's why the dove is on you. The dove on you raises the dead. The dove on you heals the sick. The dove on you helps people who would never become believers become transformed by the power of the gospel. And we then reveal His glory. And everybody has to figure out Am I a glory seeker or am I a glory revealer? I I couldn't be more proud of our teaching pastors here at the church. We've got six of us. I don't know of another church that has six different people who can all stand up here, teach the scriptures, the depth and the breadth of these teaching pastors. And last week, we got our two pups up here. We got our two middle school and high school and young adult pastors we got our pups up here, and they just knock a grand slam over the left field fence. But here's what we talk about all the time. As teaching pastors, we say this all the time. We have to decide who we're going to make famous. Are we going to make Jesus famous? Are we going to tell stories and illustrations that make us look good all along the sermon? And every pastor has to decide Who you're going to make famous. Are you going to make Jesus famous? Are you going to make yourself look good in all the stories and illustrations? You can become like the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral if you do this right. And so you're going to have to decide, am I a glory seeker or am I a glory revealer? Because the children of God are designed to reveal his glory. The wedding chapel is another great example of this. The wedding chapel is a carrot. It's to catch people's attention. It is so drop-dead gorgeous that every bride that walks in there can't breathe for about 90 seconds. It's awesome. And the whole point of that is we want to teach skills, teach skills, teach skills, teach skills, equipping, 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 helping people be prepared for marriage. We're going to chip away at the bondage. We're going to chip away at the decay. We're going to chip away at that which happens in our society and try to help marriage become strong and powerful. We know the whole creation has been growing in some pains of childbirth right to the present time. This happened with Adam and Eve in the fall. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the spirit we grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons. There's something within you that says there's more. There's something within you that says I can do better. There's something within you that says, I can make a difference. Every one of us feels this. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, do something with your life. Reveal my glory. Go into places of bondage and decay. Change lives. Change cultures. Change environments. There's something within us. And yet, it's not fully blown yet. It will come about in a great day when we get new bodies and new lives and there's a new heaven. There's a new earth. The redemption of our bodies that's all the future now here's the present all that was the future but here's what we're doing like now today and so I want to camp out on three verses right now and really dig into this and dig a little bit deeper because I think these three verses have been a little bit miscommunicated over the years and I'm not sure that we've got a good handle on these three verses but if we can like own these three verses, it will flat change your life. So say I own these three verses. I own these three verses. Tell your neighbor, they can't own it, you own it. Tell the person beside you, it's not your verse, these are my verses. All right? All right. We're a very self-centered uh, church, that's for sure. All right. So, the first one is, he says this. And this is all about prayer. And, and prayer is confusing. Do I pray for myself? Do I pray for other people? Is it okay if I pray for my future? Is it okay? Am I not supposed to pray for my business? I mean, prayer can get rather confusing. Do I pray for my kids? What do I do? What do I not do? He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So first of all, take that word Weakness we really are weak. If you stop and really think about it. Now, we act arrogant, we act strong, we act like we're so smart, but if you really think about us, we are incredibly weak. If we don't sleep, we die. If we don't breathe, we die. We've got four minutes. If we don't eat, we die. If we don't drink water, we die. If we don't, you know, take care of our bodies, it it, it hastens our death. You think about the sicknesses, the illnesses, the diseases. I mean, nobody in this room can really say, I'm big and bad and going to live forever on this earth. And and he's talking about then, about our weaknesses, not just physically, and he's not just talking about our weaknesses emotionally, he's talking about our weaknesses to, to change our environments. We're not quite sure what to do with our family members. We're not always quite sure what to do with our work environments. Do I I love my neighbors? Do I not talk to my neighbors? We're we're not always sure what to do in the the environments that God has placed us in. And so this verse tells us that the Holy Spirit inside of you is way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. And so he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We're we're not even sure what we're supposed to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes. The Spirit Himself is going to be speaking to you. The Spirit Himself is going to be speaking outside and around you. The Spirit Himself intercedes for you with like such depth, such pain, such emotion, like Jesus sweating great drops of blood in the garden. The Spirit of God Himself is praying for you. What's He praying for? He's praying that you'll catch it. He's praying that you'll get it. He's praying that you'll be a glory revealer and not a glory seeker. He's praying that you will take advantage of the spiritual gifts that he's placed inside of you. We're not even sure like how we're supposed to pray. And so we, we come to God with like a shopping list, right? Yesterday I was at Publix. Danita gives me these shopping lists and my wife is awesome. There's so many things on that list. I mean, I, we've killed three trees. But anyway, I got this long list. My wife is so smart. She puts everything in order in public. She knows I'll never find all this. So when I go in the door, she's got the first items. I mean, she's got me just mapped. She's, I don't know how she, she's brilliant. She can see the entire publics, and I go just sta- stage to stage to stage because she knows I'm not going to be doing this. I'm spending like three hours in there, right? We, we, we come to God often with a, a shopping list. This isn't a shopping list. Th- this isn't you having to figure out who to pray for. This is the Holy Spirit who is ahead of you. So let me keep talking about what he's saying. So in verse 27, he says this. And he who searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There's three pieces that are always together. There's the Spirit of God, there's the will of God, and there's the Word of God. And these will always be together. You will always have all three of together. The Word of God will never say something outside of the will of God. The Spirit of God will never be outside the will of God or outside the Word of God. They're always all three together. And and so he who searches our hearts, he knows the mind. Why does it say search the heart? Because the emotions can be deceptive. You can talk yourself into almost anything with your emotions. But you can't fool your heart. Your heart is your heart. You know what you know deep down inside of you. And the one who knows exactly who you are and how you were wired, how you were designed, that one's praying for you. He's praying for you to be all that you've been created to be. He knows what you love. He knows what you were made for. He knows what you were wired for. And that one, the Holy Spirit of God, is interceding with you with deep groans, so deep. And he's talking about your heart. Because you were wired for greatness. And you were wired for ministry. And you were wired to love. And you were wired to give. And you were wired to forgive and you were wired to serve, and you were wired to emulate Christ and show the world who the Father is and what the character and the nature of God is like. That Holy Spirit of God is praying with deep groans over you. And he's going, come on, come on. We can do this, come on. Let's go, let's giddy up and go, come on. I know you struggled. I know you failed. I know you've been. Come on, let's go. Come on, come on, come on. The Holy Spirit of God is praying for you to be victorious over sin and praying for you to be victorious over your past and your struggles and to break cycles. And, and he who searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Yes, there is a will of God for you. And I think we make this a whole lot more difficult than it really is. I think we're trying to always catch this cataclysmic picture of the will of God that's like so large. Am I supposed to like sell everything, sell the business, and go to Africa and be a missionary? Probably not. Probably not. It's more like win the hour, win the moment, win the confrontation win the conflict, win the opportunity. It's more like the will of God for you and I is like break it down into small, bite-sized pieces. What am I supposed to do today? What am I supposed to do tomorrow? Who am I supposed to be? It's the will of God and the Spirit of God and the Word of God are all three together. And then he says this verse, and we've, we've quoted this verse, I think we've kept this verse in the shallow end of the pool. And as pastors, like at funerals, we always, you know, use this verse. that like God works all things together for good to those who love God. And we always use this like when there's a tragedy. a Two-year-old drowns. A high school kid gets a DUI. A college kid, you know, goes off the deep end and commits suicide. And so, so we always use this verse because in our funerals they're always filled with you know lots of unchurched people and we can't really go into how we live in a fallen world and people make all these kind of mistakes so so we kind of use this verse and there's nothing wrong with that but but how we've used this verse like with a tragedy is the shallow end of the pool there's a deep end of the pool with this verse God says, I'm going to cause all things to work together for you to be my boy, for you to be my girl. You're my son. You're my daughter. I've caused all these things in your life for you to gain experience, to gain maturity. It's not a tragedy. It's the the product of how God has worked in your life. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. He's got so much good for you to do. If you've got a family that's unchurched, you've got the Holy Spirit on you, you just, like, go in there and you just, like, let God do his thing. Do you have a culture of, of work where it's dark? I work with all Christians. I started to say I work with manly Christians. They're all Christians. They're on our staff. They're all, they're all Christians. I love my Starbucks encounters with all the heathens and pagans and the people are in church. I love it. I love those conversations. They're raw. They're real. They're asking all the right questions. You just go into those environments with the dove on you. You don't have to say a whole lot. You have to do a whole lot. You just respond to the will of God at that moment. And so there's a deep end of the pool of this verse. It's not just the tragedies. Of, well, we know God works all. I mean, I know I screwed up my life, but God works all things. No, no, that's not what I was talking about. He has a design for you in your environment, in your family, where you live, who you are, where you're going to be. And, and so we, we often as pastors, we teach on the principles of God. And that's good. And I'll continue to do that. On the principles of God. Because the principles of God lead to success. But if you, you learn to live in his presence you will never fail. You see, the principles of God, they they lead to success. And so you, you live out of those principles. That's good. They lead you to success. But if you live in the presence of God, you will never fail. And that's so much more powerful. And so the principles of God, there's a price to pay. But living in God's presence, it's 100%. It's all in. It's 100% commitment. And so you go into these environments, and people just feel the presence of God. You don't say anything sometimes. People just start asking you questions. You don't have to do anything with the presence of God when the God's presence is in you and on you. He's, his Holy Spirit's already been praying, interceding with groans too deep for words. He's going ahead of you, changing the culture and the environments in, in which you live. And so Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 28, it's a, it's a deep end of the pool. It's, I have a plan for you. I have a will for you. I, I've, I've worked all the situations of your life to get you to this moment, to this time, where you can actually be something for me. It's not a loophole verse. It's not a retreat verse. It's an advancement verse. It's a verse that says we're charging. It's a verse that says, baby, we are going forward now. It's not like, well, you know, God works all things together for good. I know I screwed this up, but God's cool. No, 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 no. God's saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. Go, 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 go. It's kind of interesting when Jesus teaches on prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, he appears to be saying two things completely divergent. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, um, Why do you keep on babbling about certain things? Why do you keep babbling like the pagans? Your heavenly father, you keep babbling about food, and you keep babbling about clothes, and you keep babbling on about, about drink. He says, you know, look at the birds of the air. Doesn't God feed them and take care of them? And you're going, what's the birds of the air got to do with this? And then you realize, well, he's talking about how he takes care of them. And so in Matthew chapter six, he says, stop babbling. But in Matthew chapter seven, the very next verse, very next chapter, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Well, now which is it? Am I just like to pray one time? Or do I got to keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So, so wh- which is it? I, I'm confused, Jesus. You tell me in Matthew 6, quit babbling. Matthew 7, you tell me to go for it. Ask, seek, and knock. Well, Matthew 6, he tells us to stop babbling about the things that we need. And he says, your heavenly father, he knows. He knows what you need. He He knows your needs. And so you get the impression that the things in the kingdom of God that we need, they come to us. But those things that we want, those things that we dream of, those things that we deeply desire, those things that we have to have to change our culture, to change our family, change our environments, those things we got to fight for. And so again, the, the things that we need, it seems like the king just brings those things to us, food and drink and clothing and the basic necessities of life. But you got somebody in your family that's not a believer. You want to start a business and give away 50% of the proceeds to the kingdom. You want to do something great. You're probably going to have to fight for that. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. So on your app I got a couple of fill-ins your deepest dreams are really worth laboring for. And how do you know your deepest dreams? It's in your heart to which the Holy Spirit has already been interceding for you deeply with groans, groaning. The Holy Spirit's way ahead of you, already putting that passion on you. And so your deepest dreams you, you got to ask and you got to seek and you got to knock. Desires are formed in us as we as the offspring of our walk with God, as, as we learn to live in that presence, we realize I've got such a passion for middle schoolers. I've got such a passion for three-year-olds. I have such a passion for evangelism. I, I have such a passion for, and you realize that as you walk with God, those desires are formed in you. And the more you walk with him, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and brings clarity as to what he wants you to do and be. Because those dreams are so big, we must pursue the throne room of heaven. I don't think you have to worry about the basic necessities of life. I think we pray our daily bread, the Lord's Prayer. I think that's cool. But we don't have to keep babbling about those things. I think that which is really important and big and life-changing and eternal, I think, I think you've got to spend time in the throne room. And you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking. I think that's how he says it. So here's, here's the deal. Get in the game. Just get in the game. Now, if you're not a Christian, I can't encourage you enough to give your life to Christ. And then He's going to just kind of lead you and guide you, and you don't have to figure all this out. His Spirit's praying for you to get it. His Spirit's praying for you with incredible depth that you will now grow, leave some things behind, move forward with freedom and power, and help us with the decay and the bondage on this earth and there's freedom and there's power and there's glory in that. So here's what he says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has justified? It is God who who God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's amazing. And so we're, we're going to close today with the song called Temple. And I, I really want you to get this. The team's coming out now. We're going to sing this song, but hang with me for another one minute, will you? Can I have your attention for one more minute? So, God, in the days of Moses, was in a tent. There was a holy place and a holy of holies. And the one place, once a year, on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies is where only one guy could like go and meet God and that was the high priest and he had to do all kind of ritual cleansings and and get himself ready and offer sacrifices for himself and for his family and then he went into that Holy of Holies but God was in a tent and then David takes about $54 billion out of his own treasury along with the people that's a lot of money And he builds this enormous temple, this gorgeous temple. And Solomon actually built it. David funded it, but Solomon built it. And now God has gone from a a tent to now he is in a, a temple. But his goal was to always to be in you. His goal was to always live and dwell inside of humanity. And this is like, this should like blow your mind, cause you to lose brain cells, give you a headache. But God today, for every person who's a Christian, he lives now inside of every one of us. His temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, is now ruling and reigning inside of you. Now that's his promise. That's his gift. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. Now your gift back to him, is letting the dove remain on you. It's already in you. But your gift back to him is everywhere you go, every conversation you have, every encounter, business, life, love, relationships, every encounter, your gift back to him is holding on to the dove because you are the temple.